Are you an adult with dyslexia? Are you longing for more in your life than the constant, relentless push and pull on your emotions that dyslexia can bring? What about those physical demands that require you to constantly shift gears, rethink? Can I do this? Well, my name is Hope, and I am your host. And I understand because I was diagnosed as an adult with dyslexia. And I often believed that I wasn't enough. Fear and shame were my constant companion. Until I met Christ, then everything changed. This podcast, Make Room for More, is devoted to encouraging and inspiring adults with dyslexia to make more room in their life for Christ. You will hear biblical truth that will uplift and challenge you to find a place for dyslexia in your life and let Christ take center stage of your life. Thank you for joining me. The Lamb That Died From the beginning, God had prepared a lamb for himself. Read Genesis 22.8 and Revelation 13.8. The holy pair, Adam and Eve, decided to follow another voice. It was their decision. But the law of God still stood. Justice must be paid, for the wages of sin is death. Therefore, the innocent must suffer for the guilty. The plan of salvation to save us would be activated. A plan whose foundation was the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Starting with Adam, down through the ages, the sacrificial system was taught to fallen humanity. Types and symbols made it clear that God would accept a substitute in the sinner's place. Through Moses, the Lord clarified what he expected of the lost race if they wanted to live eternally. Unfortunately, many struggle with God's plan, often rebelling or better yet, looking for God to compromise, to cross out specific requirements to suit our unregenerated hearts. For a moment, let us use our imagination as we enter the courtyard of long ago. The repentant sinner brought a lamb. Why? Because he longed for freedom from the burden of sin. The priest would inspect the lamb for no spot or blemish would be accepted. A perfect lamb it had to be. For it represented the Lamb of God. Sinless was he. And in Leviticus 4, we read, And he the sinner shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering. Laying his hands upon the Lamb implied a specific confession of sin. We can find this out in Leviticus 5.5. This part of the service indicated that the sinner transferred his sin to the substitute by faith. The lamb was then slain. But who slays the sacrifice, the substitute, the innocent lamb? It is the sinner. Why do we sin? Consider the following. Sin is addictive. We initially find pleasure in sin. We are ignorant of the nature of sin. We haven't internalized the effect of sin on ourselves and others. Sin doesn't appear sinful. We have decided what God will call sin. And the list can go on and on. But I want to take a look at what is addiction. The medical news today states the following about addiction. Addiction is an inability to stop using a substance or engaging in a behavior even though it is causing psychological and physical harm. A perfect definition for sin. Wouldn't you agree? 
However, like an addiction, we don't figure this out until sometimes it's too late. But what is sin? In 1 John 3, verses 4 and 5, we find this definition. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgress also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. I know sin is not a topic we like to talk about. We prefer to think that Jesus' death on the cross dealt once and for all with sin. Therefore, no need to worry about it. However, it is essential to consider that we might be missing something vital by not taking a closer look at sin. It is the reason why Jesus died. It is the reason we need a Savior. We might ask, what do we need a Savior from? Jesus came and died to save us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And because he knew, even after we said yes to him and invited him into our life, our arch enemy Satan would be even more determined to destroy us. Once again, God's word defines sin as a transgression of the law. To transgress is to go beyond boundaries, to go beyond the established rules or laws put down by someone in authority. For example, having an affair or driving 100 miles per hour in a 55-mile zone. But it is so much more than that. It is a hostility towards God, the one who set forth the standard of conduct, who made the rules, who is the person in authority. He is sovereign, which is the basis of the Ten Commandments. It also means that we have a disregard for a set of standards by refusing to do what we know is right based on the word of God. James 4.17 Remember what God said to Cain, Adam's firstborn son? I'm going to read to you Genesis 4.3-7 And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel... He also brought of the firstling of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And God said unto Cain, Why are you wroth, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lays at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. In Hebrews 11.4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witnesses that he was righteous. God testified of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. I'll read you one more. 1 John 3:11 and 12. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Now what I get out of looking at these three verses, passages of scripture, is this. Cain knew God. He knew what the requirements were. At some point, he had a relationship with God. 
because it says, and in the process of time it came to pass, Cain brought to God the sacrifice, the lamb that was required. But here the problem starts. He began to listen to Satan as his father had done once before. Listening to another voice, the voice that told him that he could bring to God whatever he wanted, not what God had prescribed. Just like his parents, the Lord told Adam and Eve, do not eat from a certain tree. That you have all of the trees, all of the garden, all of the fruits, anything else you want, you have access to. But there's this one tree I do not want you to eat from. That's all they had to do. They wanted for nothing. And here we are again, Cain listening to the enemy, telling him, you can do whatever you want and God will have to accept it. But as the story goes for Cain, just like his parents who were put out of the garden, Cain had to leave the presence of God because in Cain's situation, he refused to acknowledge his sin. He refused to repent. He refused to turn around. You know, if you listen to this passage, I would recommend you reading chapter 4 of Genesis. Slowly reading, thinking, praying as you read it. Because here Jesus is offering Cain a way of escape. He knows Cain is struggling and he knows why he is struggling. And he goes to Cain. There's nowhere in the scripture where we read that Cain sought him out. He knows what Cain is struggling with. He knows what Cain is dealing with. He knows what is in Cain's heart. I know what you are struggling with. I know that's what he said to Cain. I believe with all my heart, Cain, I know what you're struggling with. Don't do this. Cain, let me help you. But in James 1, 14 through 15, we read, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. But there is good news. We have a Savior, the Lamb that died. He paid our ransom, not grudgingly, but as Paul reminds us in Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul, the apostle, goes on to tell us in Hebrews 4.16, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. I love this verse because I tell the Lord I am always in need. My time of need for you is now. And this is what he was offering Cain, grace. For those of you who think that you have sinned and there is no hope for you and that you've gone too far, I'm telling you now the enemy is lying to you. As long as there is breath, as long as you have not made the choice to eternally walk away from God, his love still reaches out to you. 
today, right now, he is reaching out to you. And all you need to do is make it your decision to turn around and reach back out to him. He will meet you where you are. He will do for you what he longed to do for Cain. And that is to help you, to deliver you, to restore you, and to redeem you. That is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus hates sin. It turns you and I away from Christ. It prevents us from seeing Christ's character, his love, his mercy, his long-suffering. Sin will cause us to take these things for granted, as if we are entitled to them. The fact that he died lets us know how much he hates sin and that how much it costs. He will never, ever, ever sanction sin. He will not. Let us never forget the price he paid. And once again, Christ's attitude towards sin has not changed. May we think of sin big or little. He hates sin. Therefore, he put grace in place that empowers us to live above without sin. And that's just how powerful Christ is. Please don't let anyone sell Christ's grace short because grace empowers us to live Christ's life, a sinless life. And yes, it may seem strange hearing these words, but either we serve a mighty, powerful God who can do anything or we do not. I like to remind people when this subject comes up, there are things in our life that we did before we invited Christ into our life that we're no longer doing. That same power that delivered us from the sins we did before is the same power that will deliver us now with the things that we're struggling with. He is not powerless in our life simply because we are on the other side of the cross. Let Christ show you just how powerful he is, whatever you're struggling with. He can deliver you. Yes, there is no more blood sacrifices needed. That is clear. Jesus died for us on the cross. That ended the sacrificial system. But what did the cross show us? What did Jesus' death teach us? It taught us how much God loves us. When we look at the cross, we are confronted with a deep love that God took our sins upon his innocent soul. When we look at the cross, when we look at Jesus' death, we know how much he hates sin. If we take sin lightly, and if we decide because Jesus has died on the cross, we don't have to worry about it anymore. The enemy has gotten our attention. And because of that, we will start ignoring the standards of conduct that I think we all agree with. The the standard of conduct that says, We're not to bear false witness. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to steal. We're not to covet. We are to honor the Sabbath day. We are to not take his name in vain. Which one of those standards of conduct would we have a problem with? They're still valid because they are perfect. Read Psalms 19 where it says the law converts the soul. If we are making light of sin, Jesus' death hasn't reached that deep place in us yet. But I implore you to keep searching. The power of Jesus' death makes it clear that God could not annul or change 
his law, for it is still perfect. It was perfect then. It is perfect now because he is perfect. Don't you see? The nails in his hands and feet did not kill Jesus. He died of a broken heart because he was weighed down with the sins of the world. It is true that God's law cannot save us nor pardon our sins. The Apostle Paul makes it clear. The law brings to us the knowledge of sin. And when sin is made known, God offers his amazing grace to cover that sin. When we are faced with a choice to keep or to break the law of God, he provides his grace that will strengthen us, make us adequate and powerful to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. And you can find that in Titus 2.12. And in Romans 8.32, Paul says the following, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up, not us, he delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We have a profound hope in Christ's death, because through his death, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walks not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 8.4 In closing, we have this profound hope in Christ, his life and his death. And we are not ashamed, because the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us for when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen, amen, hallelujah, amen. That comes from Romans 5, 5 and 6. Christ's life, Christ's death, and his resurrection has made all of this possible. Thank you for tuning in each week to Make Room for More. If you would like to listen to archive shows, you may do so by going to www.makeroomformorepodcast.com Once again, thank you so very much for joining us and have a wonderful week.